Well, it's very easy to be anxious, isn't it? We live in anxious, anxious times. It's very easy for all of us to let our minds run wild with all of the what-ifs of life. In Philippians chapter 4, God tells us in his word, be anxious for nothing. And the concept we've talked about many times before is God saying, trade your anxiety for prayer. So when you're anxious, he says, pray, pray. Now, let's be honest, that's often sometimes easier said than done, as sometimes life is just completely overwhelming. We're not sure that we're going to make it. And sometimes the trouble that we're in, there seems that there's no way out. In those times, it's important to remember that the Lord promised to be with us always, always, including the title of today's message, When Life is on Fire. And maybe you've experienced that, where it just seems like everything you're doing, everything you touch, is just not going right. And everything is going wrong. Life is just out of control. You're anxious, maybe you're afraid, you don't know which end is up. Well, after being taken prisoner of war from Jerusalem by the Babylonians, Daniel, who was just a teenager, and his three friends ended up in the king's court. They were very bright, up-and-coming young men, young leaders, and they were there for deprogramming from the Israeli way of life or the Jerusalem way of life, worshiping Yahweh into worshiping the many gods of Babylon, and they were there for leadership training. And so they were in a new world. That's the title of our series here But Daniel. And the strategy of indoctrinating the young people in a culture to the new ideas that you have is very common. It's very old. It's, not, it's, not, it's, nothing, it's nothing new. And, you know, if you're patient enough, eventually... They will grow up and be, uh, you know, get that way. I was not one of them, but I'm not that old. But a lot of my high school teachers were ex-hippies. And so they had this whole way of seeing the world. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that is not an uncommon thing. In, in chapter 2, these Jewish guys who were in this pagan land, who undoubtedly people were just like, we've had it with you, They didn't like these guys. They were promoted because of a dream interpretation. They interpreted the king's dream. But in the first 18 verses of chapter 3, which we've studied the last two weeks, things changed dramatically. King Nebuchadnezzar made this, you know, remember, nine-story golden image, and he told the people to bow down uh, to the golden image that he had made. Uh, But Daniel, we don't have a recording of him being there, but Daniel's three friends... They refused, and their pagan rivals, if you will, guys kind of standing there. Remember we said they're standing in the back like, I ain't bowing to that thing. That's just some stupid thing. They went and told the king, probably jealous of their, of their promotion in chapter 2. And, you know, as things change in the world, and this is the things that always happen, things always change. They're always going to be in, in flux, and, you know, you know, those of you who are young, 
just mark my words, in 20 or 30 years, you'll be saying, oh, these young people today. Every time people say that to me, I'm going, yeah, they're just like us. Really, that's no real big difference. And, and so sometimes we're going to be asked to, or told to, to, to bow down to certain values that, that we may not hold. Now, let me put an asterisk on that. Christians are all for equal rights. We are all we we don't we don't think that people should be discriminated against. And so, but yet at the same time, there's just certain things that people perhaps against shouldn't be made to do against their conscience. And unfortunately, you can reach a state in certain places, that's certainly the way it is in Babylon, where there's consequences, and sometimes the consequences are mockery. And sometimes they are, they are much more. And, and that pressure is what we're going to look at today as those three men, that young men, presumably, or they may have been older if it took, we don't, we're not given a time stamp on this. These three men who, who didn't bow down are under tremendous pressure. Why didn't they bow down? Remember we said last week they probably looked at each other and said, no, the Ten Commandments won't let us do that. Or... There is, um, you know, there's certain uh, things that are against our conscience. We're not going to do that. And if you've been, you know, following the news, they're saying that if certain laws pass, certain doctors, let's we'll use them as an example. There's many examples. You teachers, same thing. But, but certain doctors are going to be asked to perform certain types of surgeries that might be against their conscience. And so that's what we're, what we're, what we're talking about here. So King Nebuchadnezzar... Uh, not known for his graciousness, uh, in fact, the exact opposite, had given them, we saw last week, a second chance. And so I want to go back to that where he offers it to him again. And he says to Daniel's three friends in verse 15, Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in the sympathy of all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. So what is he saying? I'm going to give you another chance, and you know, I'm going to get the band, and when the band starts playing, if you fall down in worship, I'll forgive everything. I, 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 don't worry about it. But he says, but if you do not worship, so he gives them some really key motivation, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. That's motivation, right? And who is the God? This is what he said. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Remember that question we said last week? We said it's a silly question. So what did they say to King Nebuchadnezzar last week? Thanks, but no thanks. We know our God, he can save us if he wants, but if he doesn't, we're still good with him. It's not a problem. We're, we're fine with all that. And so we're, we're, we're fine with it. We're not going to bow to him. So let's pick up where we left off at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. So the dude is raging. He's absolutely raging. You ever talk to somebody who's raging and you, you, can't, even, you can't even rational, you know, get any rational thought? They're just out of control. So he's raging. And the expression on his face changed. Like you're like looking at him like, who is this guy? I mean, I don't even, I don't even recognize him. Uh, and and it, so he was full of fury and rage. The expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three that wouldn't bow. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more 
than it is usually heated. So he's basically, it could be a figure of speech where he's just like, get this thing, that furnace, as hot as it is. Now, picture the furnace sort of like this. Most scholars think it would be something like this. And, and we, rather than use a furnace example, we'll use an aquarium. Have you ever been to an aquarium? So what, what's cool is if you go up top, you see them maybe people throwing the fish in or something like that, feeding the whales or something like that. So picture that's the top of the furnace. And then, the, then if you go down below, you can actually see the fish swimming around. You follow what I'm saying? So picture the top of the furnace is where they throw the wood in, and then there's sort of an observation area down at the bottom. So just that's sort of what they're, what they're at there. And so then he says, verse 20, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor. So he basically either they're the, the guys who make the fire or he goes looking for the strongest soldiers he can find who were, in, who were in his army to bind or to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their outer garments. So they're, they're still wearing their clothes. Presumably, they'll catch fire quicker. And they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent. Now, apparently, maybe, I mean, you're thinking if the guys who work by the fire, they're like, well, this job is not really safe. You can't get too close, close to it. So they Maybe they take some kind of protective measures. We don't know. Seems to be no time for that. And so because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So just imagine, you know, the people at SeaWorld throwing the fish into Shamu, right? And they're dying as they're throwing the fish in. And, and so here are these guys. They're throwing these guys into the furnace and it's so hot, the flames are coming out, or the heat is so intense that the guys who are throwing them into the fire actually, actually die. And so um, it actually kills them. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound, so they go down tied into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So, Nebuchadnezzar, when he hears them say, we don't want the second chance, we're good, we're good with our God, we're not interested in what you have to offer, he is absolutely furious, he goes running out, he says to, to the guys at the, you know, working at the fire pit there, he says, heat that furnace as hot as possible, I am going to toast these rebels, I'm going to make an example to them, to everybody else, and we see in Nebuchadnezzar, as we see in much of our world, that there's not um, a very high value put on human life. He doesn't really seem to care. That's sort of the kind of guy he is. So he orders some of his strongest soldiers to tie these guys up. Well, why would he tie them up? So there's no way they can escape. They're going to just go in there, you know, especially if they tie their legs, they're going to go in there, going to plop down on the floor of that pit, and they're just going to they're going to burn right up, and, and they're, and they're going to, he's just like, tie them up, toss them into the fire as soon as possible. Now, think about it for a second. A smaller fire would be more brutal, wouldn't it? I'm just sorry, forgive the devilish in me, but, but the devil in me. But, but a smaller fire would torture them even more, kind of, a, kind of a slow burn, but that's not what he does here. Um, 
Why? Because his temper is even hotter than the furnace. I mean, this dude is really upset. Like, you do not say no to the king. So he's like saying to them, just throw him in, close it all, close it all, no more talk, no third, third chance, just get rid of them. Now, it's important to remember that generally torture, the way it was done a lot of times in the ancient world and sadly still in parts of our world today, is meant not only to punish the people that it is punishing, but it's also meant to send a message. We think of Jesus 600 years later dying on the cross. And the cross was a public display. They did it out in public. So we've said this before. So you're, you're like, let's say I have two sons and I'm walking down the street with them and there's the guys die, dead on the cross. And, and, I, and they're like, dad, what's the deal with that? And I'm like, son, that's what happens when you cross Caesar. If you want to mess with him, that's what they do to you. And so that would be such a great visual picture for people if they wanted to go against the regime. And, and so here we have another message being sent with Nebuchadnezzar, and it's sort of like this, Nebuchadnezzar saying, listen, you three guys, you can worship the God that you can't see. That's fine. You want to do that. But you also have to understand that if you do that, you will experience the power of Babylon. And Babylon also often equated in the, in the Bible with the world, that you will experience uh, the power of, of the world and the rage of the world against you. Now, it's interesting, when it comes to the, the Bible, fire is often used as a metaphor for, for two different things. Generally, it's used for, there's other things, but generally it's used for judgment, specifically God's judgment. It's for judgment and, and, and for refinement. So let's, let's talk about God's judgment first. If you were here with us when we studied the life of Abraham, we saw that in Sodom and Gomorrah. God rained down fire on the place. And so, and so he, he judged them. And, and here we see the soldiers because they're carrying out the deeds of the evil one, Nebuchadnezzar, um, they die in the fire or the judgment of God. Now, it's, remember, we just read back in verse 15 where Nebuchadnezzar said, who can deliver you from my hand? Here, it's almost like God replies, who can deliver you from my hand? I mean, they don't even need to go into the fire pit to die. I'm that powerful. Now, Jesus, in a far less violent way, uh, described this in the New Testament when he said this, Matthew 16, 25. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Well, J Jesus basically saying, if, if you want to follow the crowd, if you want to follow the ways of the world, if you want to follow the kingdom of man, you will lose your life you will eternally lose your life. If you, if you just are like, well, I want to do what I want to do. Ain't no God, ain't no Bible, ain't nobody going to tell me how to live my life. Doesn't mean God doesn't want us to enjoy life. Just the opposite. I feel like I enjoy it more now than I ever did. But, but if you want to follow that way, Jesus says you're going to lose your life. And, but then Jesus says, but 
whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to give your life to me, you're going to find eternal life. You will, you will make it to heaven. Not to mention that you will find yourself in this life. And, and what is really, really, really sad is that it's very common to meet a lot of people who just don't know who they are. They're just lost. And they're, they're in search of, 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 of their identity. And that's a, that's a big thing today for young people, for, that, that you want to be true to who you are. You want to be true to your identity. And I'm not saying this to be critical of, of young people, but when you talk with young people, a lot of them really have no idea who they are. And, and so Jesus says, if you, if you give your life to me, you find your identity in me, you're going to find yourself. You're going to find who you are. So while the unbelieving people undergo the judgment of God's, the fire of God's judgment, followers of Jesus, and by the way, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, thanks for coming. If you're watching on the internet, if you're in this room or you're another place in the, in the building here, man, I am so glad that you are here. If you're like, oh, well, this, this pastor dude knows nothing about, you know, not being a follower of Jesus. I didn't become a follower of Jesus till I was 29. So that was like two years ago. And so, and so I'm even going to talk about what it was like for me and for others that are sitting around you in a few minutes. So, but for followers of Jesus, Remember I said there's the fire of judgment and there's the fire of refinement. We undergo what's called the, the fire of refinement. And, and that's, that actually happens here on earth. You say, well, what is that? Refinement used back in the ancient world was the um, purification of precious metals. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. When I was in college, I worked at a... a, a factory that did plating and one of the sections did tin plating so we would get these pallets of tin in and we would throw it into this big vat I didn't do it I just watched and and what would happen would be all the muck would rise to the top as they melted it and they would take it off and take it off and actually they would put it in buckets and then they would refine that because the stuff was so expensive but basically what would happen is you'd go the, the tin would go into the fire the bars would go into the fire it would melt and then uh, all the stuff would rise to the top, stuff would be taken away, and then what you would be left with would be basically pure tin. And so God's refining in the life of a follower of Jesus is of tremendous benefit, tremendous benefit for us. It may not seem like it at the time, but long term, you will begin to realize how good that is. So what does God's refining fire do? Well, sometimes it destroys things. Maybe there's something in your life and in my life that just needs to go. That happens to all of us. Let's, let, you, know, we don't, you don't become a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden become perfect. And so there's some things that just need to go, and God will, will refine it, and, and maybe he'll take it away. Or maybe he'll, you know, you have this friend who's a bad influence on you, 
And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I'm moving to Colorado, you know? And you're like, you know, stay here. Pot's legal here, bro. And they're like, no, I'm moving. I'm moving. And so they, whatever. I'm not picking on Colorado. I got friends who live in Colorado. But, but, but sometimes God's refining fire destroys. Sometimes it tests us. That's what's happening to these guys. They are being tested by the refining fire of God. So what's death to the soldiers is going to, we're going to see is refinement to them. What does it do? Also, God's refining fire, as much as it sometimes destroys, it actually rebuilds. A lot of times in our lives, God takes away certain things to rebuild our lives, to change us, to make us into the people that God wants us to be and ultimately the people we want to be. God's refining fire reveals true faith. I mean, these guys, their back is up against the wall, and sometimes God is going to have your back up against the wall so to reveal true faith or phony faith. And you say, well, doesn't God know the difference? Oh, yes, God knows the difference. God knows the difference. But maybe we don't, we're not as faithful uh, as we think we are, or maybe we're more faithful than we think that we are. God's refining fire even saves. Many of us would say that we came into the kingdom of God when our life was on fire. I know for some of you are like, oh yes, I was brought up in the church and it was so nice. And others of you are like, yeah, I was sitting there one day and I thought, yeah, it's a really good idea to follow Jesus. I think I'm going to do that. And others, he slapped us silly Lit the match, threw it on. We were burning, and God's like, well, how's that? How are you wearing that one? That was me. And so some of, some of you are much less rebellious than me. Don't get a big head. That's not saying much. And so, and so there's various ways. The apostle Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What are those trials? Refining that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Isn't that wonderful that that's the way God thinks of your faith? Like if you said to God, hey, God, would you rather have like that big, that, you know, that, that, that truckload of gold over there or my pathetic faith, which would you rather have? And he goes, I'll take your pathetic faith. He goes, though it be tested by fire, what kind of fire? Refining fire may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, I love this line, having not seen you love. That's what these guys are telling Nebuchadnezzar 600 years earlier. We don't need to see God to love him. We know he loves us. We love him. You want to toss us in the fire? Okay, we get it. Though now you do not see him, yet believing or trusting him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's something the world can't give to you. It can't deliver on. All the money in the world doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have. The world cannot deliver that. Verse 24. Okay, now let's go back to it. They're in the fire. They're in the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the, into the midst of the fire? He's like, I told you three. How many did you throw in there? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. 
Verse 25, look, he answered Nebuchadnezzar, telling everybody, look inside there. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, some of your versions have that Son capitalized. Some of you versions don't have it capitalized. Nebuchadnezzar saying there's, there's some divine figure in the midst of that fire with them. Now, I remember um, the first time I read this passage. Actually, what happened was I, was, I hadn't read it. I was, a, I was a, a new follower of Jesus. I was sitting in church, and the pastor was preaching through it. Now, any good teaching pastor would say, that we can't say definitively who was in the fire with him. And so he was sort of going on that. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm brand new off this thing. And, and everything is just different for me. I mean, I am so way di- everything. One of my roommates said, same name, same address, same social security number, everything else different. I want to jump out of my seat. I was like, it's Jesus in there, man. It's Jesus in there. And I'm like, that's probably not good. They think I'm weird enough as it is. And I, I don't know how I fit in with these people. Um, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. So, um, but I still to this day, and that was, gosh, 33 years ago, to this day, I'm not going to say that it's not Jesus in there. I'm not going to say that. Why? Hopefully I'll do better than I did in the first service. I cried about this. <laughs> I cried about this on Thursday. I cried about it yesterday morning. I cried about it at home this morning at 4:30, going over the, this passage again. I cried in the first service, and I'm trying to hold it back now. I can't say it wasn't Jesus because this is what happened to me. And I know it's happened to a lot of you. I I was once tied up and bound in the fiery furnace of sin. When I tell people that I used to use drugs and, and every day and drink every day, the lead in the life, the party life of wine, women, and song, People picture this down and out dude. I was building a multi-million dollar company in the process. I was your classic 80s yuppie. So it wasn't like I wasn't getting anywhere in life. Nothing more dangerous than anybody who can afford that lifestyle and it doesn't even put a dent in their budget. That's a dangerous place to be. Some of you are like, I don't know why God's not giving me more money, because you'll self-destruct if he does. And I was, I was bound, man. I was, I, was, I was captured. And here's the thing, man. Jesus didn't just stand there and watch me burn. He came in to the fire with me. He came right into the fire with me. And not only did Jesus untie me, but it was like it was like the flames couldn't burn me anymore. And this may seem weird to you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, some of you are nodding like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And the flames couldn't burn me anymore. 
because I knew that I knew that I knew that I was no longer, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, under the fiery judgment of God. I knew what that felt like, but I knew now longer it was there no longer. And so Nebuchadnezzar, man, he looks into the fire and he can't believe it. He looks to the guys and goes, did we get the count right? Simple order, you idiots. Three guys, throw three guys in. There's four in there. But the fourth one, he looks divine. There's something different about the one that's in there. I mean, he's like looking at them. Just picture him going like, look at them. The guys who threw them in are dead. And they're walking around in the fire like they're taking a walk in the park. I'm expecting the dog to show up any minute. They're just, just having a grand old time in there. They're free. They're secure. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's a rager, is thinking like, I'm not even that free. I'm the most powerful man in the world. I had the world's superpower. I'm rich. Remember we said how rich he was? If you've got a bunch of people that on your staff of your, your, your kingdom that just interpret your dreams, you got bucks. And he's like, man, I, I don't even, I'm not even like that. Ultimately, what's the thing? The wrath of the regime cannot touch them. Why? Because the divine favor of God and the protection of God is on them. And my dear Christian friend, you may not feel that right now, but that is a fact. That is a fact. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that protection, that favor is upon you. Now, again, if you want to get all theological about this, some people believe that this is an angel in there. Others believe it's a theophany. What is a theophany? That's a fancy theological word for the manifestation of God's presence. Other people believe uh, it is a Christophany. I'm in that camp. What's a Christophany? A pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. What do we mean by pre-incarnate? Before God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, most people go, oh, Christmas morning. No, as soon as he was in Mary's belly. And so Jesus, the Son of God, often in the Old Testament referred to these Christophanies as the angel of the Lord. So whenever you see the angel of the Lord, that A in capital letters, you know, circle that in your Bible when you're reading the Old Testament. Now here's a principle. We're going to say it a few different times in a few different ways, but do not go home without getting this today. It's important to plant this deep in our hearts. Jesus did not just meet them, just not, sorry, did not just deliver them from the fire. He met them in it and took them out of it. That is what is very important to remember. Very important to remember that. Well over 100 years before the people of God were exiled into Babylon, Isaiah the prophet was warning generations of people. And he says this, and, he, and he's talking to them. He's, he's talking about when they're going to go down to Babylon way in advance. He says this, Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. He says, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. And listen to what God says. Fear not. Fear 
fear not. For I have redeemed you. I bought you. You belong to me. I have called you by name. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to listen to the voice. I want you to listen to him call you by name. And I know you can hear it. I know you can. I have called you by name. And this is, you know, when I said I came to God kicking and screaming, this is what I heard. You are mine. That's it. I'm like, me? One of those kind of people? You're kidding me. Then in verse 2, he makes a promise to the people who will be returning from the exile. So now he's talking to the people in the future of where we're talking about now in the Bible who are returning to Babylon, from Babylon to the promised land, what we sometimes call the second exodus. He said this. He doesn't want them to be afraid to go back to Jerusalem. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. So when you're walking through the river of life and, and you feel like the water's up to here, you ever feel that way in life? You're like, you're like the God. You're like, stand on your tippy toes. The water, he says, it's not going to overwhelm you. So maybe you're here today and you feel overwhelmed. God says, no, no, no. Stay with me. I will not let you be overwhelmed. Scripture says God won't let you, allow you to you know, get more than you can bear. He'll push you pretty darn close. That's part of refining. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. God says, listen, I am going to be with you, and I am going to protect you. Nothing is going to happen to you. Nothing that doesn't come by my desk and go, yeah, this is part of my plan for their life. This is part of their plan, my plan for their life. So here we go. We're going to say it again. Key principle of the Christian life. Jesus didn't keep them out of the fiery furnace. Jesus came and found them in it. You know, this is something that perplexes a lot of people. The Lord did not promise that everything in your life was going to go well. Jesus never promised everything in your life would go well. He lived perfectly and they killed him, right? Just think of you like, I don't, I don't understand why that would be. Well, if everything in your life went well for being a Christian, everybody would come to Jesus for what? For the wrong reasons. Why are you a Christian? Pfft, man, are you kidding me, man? Mercedes, big house, house at the beach. Why wouldn't you? People, people come to him for all the wrong reasons. Rather, Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to work. The way it's going to work is in your pain, in your brokenness, 
in your despair, I will show up and I will walk with you through it. I will be with you. I won't leave you. And you will come to get to know me and you'll find yourself. You won't be searching for an identity. You'll know who you are. You see, the Bible is full of people like these guys, like, like many of you. People who know and have experienced that Jesus always finds us. He always does. Always. You might say, well, has it been easier for you, life been easier for you since you've become a follower of Jesus? Well, I'm a parent. That should answer the question for you. <laughs> if you're not a parent, it is one heartbreak after another, it seems. Even if you've got great kids, i got great kids. You're just always wondering what if. That's still the one lesson I think I have in me from chapter 3 here. You see, when Jesus says, I'll be with you, that's not a guarantee that deliverance is always going to happen in this life. Remember what Isaiah said? God, said? God said, I will be with you always. What was Jesus' departing words in Matthew chapter 28 when he was leaving the disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel? He said, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. That's the guarantee. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See, just like chapter 2, once again, he knows that their God is great. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head had not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. So they come out, and Nebuchadnezzar is like, check those dudes out. Check those dudes out. So these guys are examining them. And they come over to Nebuchadnezzar, and they're like, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Remember, you got the soldiers. They're, they're lying there dead, and they're like, these guys are fine. So, let's do the math. Now, I know a lot of you hate math. All right? Some of you hate math, but it's all right. This is simple math. We can do this. I think most of us can do this. Let's do it. Three guys go into the furnace. Are the numbers too high? Okay. Three guys go into the furnace. When they look in, there's four guys in the furnace. But only three guys walk out. And they're the same three guys that went in. The leaders inspect them. Nebuchadnezzar's like, look them over. Smell them. We don't know how they smelled going in, but we know they smelled the same coming out. And they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they go, they're exactly the same 
except for one thing. They're not tied up anymore. Because if they had bound their feet, they wouldn't have been able to walk out. So not only did Jesus save them from the fire, he untied them. Now, if you don't think that God manages the smallest details of your life, think about this. What happens if you decide, you know, that uh, tomorrow my kids are coming over, a couple other people with their kids are going to come over, and you know, my grandson's going to be over. So I don't need to tell you that um, we'll have s'mores. I don't need to tell you that. I know my, I know my wife. We're going to have s'mores. So that means you got to get close to the fire. Is everybody going to smell like the fire when they go home? Yeah, yeah. But God makes sure they don't even smell like the fire. That's how much he's into the little details of our lives. So in our day, the message is clear. God is with his children in the fiery furnaces that we face. And you know what? That's where your faith shines. You know, when, when, you're going, when times are going good for you, it's, it's easier, right? But when, when people are like, man, I, all you've been through, I don't know how. I don't know how you're still dealing with life. I don't know how you're still hanging in there. I don't know how you still have a smile on your face. Please tell them the truth. Please tell them the truth. Because hopefully you know that it's the Lord that's been holding you up. Hopefully you know that, you, know, you say, you know what, man? Because this is real faith. You know what? The whole time, I have, I have really sensed the presence of Jesus walking with me through this. And, I, and you say to people, if, if, they're not, you know, if they're followers of Jesus, you will encourage them. If they're not followers of Jesus, you might want to say something like this. If it's true, and, and you might want to say, you know, I know that sounds weird to you. But to be honest with you, like these guys, I know that he, it's more real that he's with me than I know you're standing in front of me. And I know you want to call the 911 and put me in a straitjacket and take me away. I get it. I get it. But that's how real Jesus is to me. That's where faith shines. And, and, and Isaiah had written that, that God said that, that they were going to end up in Babylon, the furnace of adversity, because they turned their back on God. And that's where maybe today you've turned your back on God and he's thrown you into the fire of adversity. He, or he's let you go into it. You, you walked into it yourself. And you're like, God, how could you let this happen? And maybe he's saying to you, it's the only way I could get your attention. It's the only way I could get you to see what's really going on. But God says, and he promises through Isaiah, those who trust in me, I will deliver you. Their hope is our hope that God's people living in exile, far from their home. We are, we are, we are people, we, Christians are people in exile. We are far from our home in heaven. He says, you will be saved and you will be brought home. 
And to prove all of this to us 600 years later, God himself put on humanity. He became a man, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became a man, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus walked the paths that we walk of life. But the difference for Jesus, there's several, but one was the cross and the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. I mean, here on earth, Jesus lived with the pressures of life like we do. He, he, he was tested and tempted like we are. Like we are. You know, people say, well, I mean, how much could he be tempted? Well, we know he's tempted by the devil, but also the, people, the old people say, come on, we want to make you famous. And all the people coming up to say, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. Do this for me. Do that for me. Jesus experienced sorrow. He experienced undependable friends. Do you, have a, you ever experience an undependable friend? Someone you thought was really there for you, and then when push came to shove, they abandoned you? Maybe you've been that undependable friend. Yet he did it all without sin. Well, so if he didn't have any sin, when he went into the fire of God's judgment, that's what took place on the cross. If he didn't have any sin, did he need any refinement? He didn't need any refinement. So what was he doing in there? He was being judged for your sins and my sins. That's what he was being judged for. And so he, when you put your trust in Jesus, he is, in fact, taking the punishment for you. And here's the difference. Those guys threw, him, threw those three men in that pit, right? That fiery pit. And they died. They had the fiery judgment of God. They died. The guys who crucified Jesus, what did Jesus say from the cross? Father, would you please forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. They lived. And in that fiery furnace, there was three guys. They didn't go in alone. And then Jesus shows up. There's a fourth guy in there. Jesus is on that cross alone. And what does he yell out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is totally alone on that cross. Now, you might sit here today and you go, I'm not a sinner. Well, let me tell you the one thing that Nebuchadnezzar and God have in common. God requires we bow to him. And if you haven't, God says, by definition, you are a sinner. Now, it's very interesting. The scripture teaches that we will all bow down to the risen King Jesus. Everybody will. Isn't that interesting? Those who do it in this life will live with Jesus forever in heaven. Those who do it in the next life won't because it will be too late for them, but they will bow down. Yet if you're willing to come to the foot of the cross now, they nailed Jesus to one of those. 
and bow down at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus, there will be no fiery judgment for you. You can look at that cross and say, I trust you, Jesus. And Jesus will look back at you and you will know that he did that for you. You know, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you think that this church is a bunch of good religious people, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. You know who we are? We are just a bunch of sinners. And notice I'm saying it with a smile. I got no problem admitting it. And, and, and we're here to grow in our faith. But at the same time, we're here to invite you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to the foot of the cross. To experience the love of God. The ability to know who you really are. To experience the forgiveness of sins. To come into the family of God and into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice he's still not Nebuchadnezzar's God. Who sent his angel, that could be the angel of the Lord, or like we said, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, although this is Nebuchadnezzar talking, and delivered his servants who trusted in him. You might want to circle that. And they have frustrated, in other words, they went against the king's word and yielded their bodies. They risked their lives that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own God. They will not bow, they would not bow down to my image, he's saying. Therefore, now Nebuchadnezzar says this, talk about a change of events. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces. Nice guy, huh? And their house, their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Some of you have heard say, there is no other God that can save like this. Then the king promoted, literally it means caused them to prosper, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So after being so angry that they refused to bow down, Nebuchadnezzar seems to have a respect for their faith and their commitment to their God. Yet, even miracles, we saw one with the dream in chapter 2, we see one here, is still not enough to get Nebuchadnezzar to put his trust in the living God. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They come back the next day, they're not like, oh, we worship you, God, you're here. They're like, hey, you got any more food? You know, when it comes to miracles, plenty of times in the Bible, miracles do not help people believe. There's an old expression that you don't need to see to believe, you need to believe to see. So Nebuchadnezzar issues an edict. No one is allowed to speak against their God. What a turn of events. 
Now, this account must have encouraged the captives. Remember now, this part of, of, of Daniel is written in Aramaic. So all the people in the land, it can be passed around and they can, they can read about it. And I hope it's encouraged you and motivated you today if you're a follower of Jesus in your faith. My prayer for us as a church that we stay focused in these strange days, ready to serve our king and to resist any compromise the world calls us to. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Christ Jesus. That's not easy, but that's where you will find Jesus. By the way, did you notice, as he often does in the Bible, that God has the unbeliever preach the gospel to us? Did you notice that Nebuchadnezzar preached the gospel to us? In their trouble, he says, God sent his angel. And if it's the angel of the Lord, God sent his son and delivered his servants who trust him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Nebuchadnezzar even said, there is no other God who can deliver. There is no other God who can save that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not religion. Not religion. Not that you do all this stuff for God. That God saw you and me in the fire and came in. That's the good news of the gospel. God sent his son to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And Jesus said that he will save. Here's Jesus' words. I will save all. That means all. Other places he says, I will serve whoever. That means whoever put their trust in him. And to prove it, all those miracles aside, Jesus rose from the dead. So today, God asks you, God asks me to come to the foot of the cross. Christ's furnace, if you will. And ask yourself which person you are. There's only two options. Are you one of the soldiers who die in the fire of God's judgment? Or are you someone who is willing to turn to God or has turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ and now be in the refining fire of God, being made pure now or more pure than you are on your way to heaven. If you don't know which person you are, if you don't know which fire you're in, in these closing moments, just take a moment and, and look up at Jesus Christ, the king on a cross, and gaze at him. And listen to him as he calls your name. And he says, I'm doing this for you. And he calls your name. I'm doing this for you. Plug in your name. And ask him, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to save you from the fire of judgment. And if you already have done that, 
and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know he saved you, do what I would encourage you to do every day of your life. Bow down at the feet of Jesus. Gaze at him and worship your king. Well, let's stand and pray.